Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsblog 20 podcast series in which we celebrate 20 years of Arsblog by talking to a guest about a calendar year of the site's existence between 2002 and 2022. In this episode, we talk about the year 2005 and my guest is Shelm from the Touchy Gooners podcast. Hello to you. Hi, Andrew. Hi, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for being here. 2005, quite a few things happened in this year. I suppose there's a lot of on-pitch stuff and probably some off-pitch stuff that people might have forgotten, but I'm curious to see what you're going to kick us off with. Yeah, I I, I thought um, the first one I'd go with uh, early on in the year, I don't know if you remember, on the 14th of February, we played Crystal Palace at home, Mm. and that was um, the first game um, an English side didn't have an English player in it so uh, I remember um, Wenger receiving quite a bit of stick for it yeah. at the end of the game um, you know the FA were quite heavy on him saying you know it doesn't set a good precedent for you know for the league mm. but I, I think you know Wenger sort of clapped back in just saying that you know I, I tend to look at the quality and the attitude of the player first and foremost so um, but yeah, as has been the case, um, yeah, we, we got a lot of stick for it, which I thought was a bit unwarranted at the time. No, I agree with you. Uh, just to give people a rundown of that particular lineup on the night, Arsenal beat Crystal Palace 5-1, goals from Dennis Bergkamp, Jose Antonio Reyes, two from Thierry Henry, one from Patrick Vieira. The lineup was Lehman, Lauren, Clichy, Toure, Segan, Perez, Reyes, Vieira, Edu, Bergkamp, Henry, uh, on the bench, Almunia, Senderos, Fabregas, Flamini, and Robin Van Persie. I mean, not a bad uh, bunch of players, but of course there is that, you know, th- there was that reaction. I think I remember Paul Merson in particular having a bit of a, a go at it that, you know, when Arsene Wenger took over, he obviously inherited some really good English players and they were like the cornerstone of, of you know, his first successes in those great teams. But it just shows, you know, that football is an ever-evolving thing. The idea of it happening was probably something people didn't think about, but uh, I guess we had to do it first and take all the criticism for all the other teams that have done it since. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I've, um, you know, Clive Palmer before, you've had him on and he's mentioned previously that, you know, sometimes it, it, it does feel like at times Arsenal were looked at a bit differently, almost yeah. a bit like a continental side, you know, when Wenger first had those influx of, you know, loads of French players in with him at the time. And, you know, yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean a lot to me. For me personally, obviously, I do think it's important to have, you know, a couple English British players in, you know, just people who understand what Arsenal mean. And, and that's not to say that, you know, uh, signings from abroad can't have that, mm. but it, it, it feels more, you know, you know, having 
the homegrown guys understand it, identify it. We can only see now, you know, with Smith Rowe and Saka, how much it means to them, how much fans identify with them. So for me, I would always have, you know, it, it's good to have that cornerstone. And if we can, you know, uh, buy a couple in-house from within the league as well, um, which obviously we've done recently with Ramsdale and Ben. Well, I, I think it is nice to, it is nice. Um, but yeah, the furore around it was... <laughs> Uh, a little bit unnecessary in my opinion but uh, like you said I think we had to be the first and I'm sure I, I don't know I'm sure there's been loads of other teams since that the yeah. followed suit yeah so. look it's a it's a global game this was at a point obviously when you know um, the UK was in the European Union I have to say like as, a, as an Irishman uh, you know, I, I like it when we've got English players in the team as well. I like it when the kids come through the academy. Uh, I do think it is important. It doesn't have to be the be all and the end all. And I don't think you're you you're some kind of little Englander if you say I want to see some English players in the team because I always want to see some English players in the team as well. It's just that when it doesn't happen, some people take it as like an affront to what football used to be about or should be about. And I don't think that's the case with this. It was just one of those nights when there was no Englishman in the team. And um, yeah, we won 5-1. So who's complaining? Nobody spoke about the result. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that seemed to pale in significance to the wider conversation people were having at the time. But I think, yeah, like you said, it's linked into the fact globalisation, football's a wide game, it's being accessed, and and, and you want to widen access. You want as many people as possible to be able to view it, to be able to identify. You know, we've seen Arsenal grow in so many international markets um, worldwide as well. So I do, like you, I I do think it's important to have a core five, six players um, who, you know, who understand the club, who understand the league um, and who form sort of the bedrock of your squad. So, you know, similar to, I keep obviously harping back to what we have now, but it's a nice basis to build around. And then from there, you can flesh out the team, you can flesh out the squad accordingly. But I always think it's important to to have those components, in my opinion, within the squad. Yeah, I agree. But the thing to say is that those players have to be of the requisite quality. You know Absolutely. what I mean? There's no point having a play, English players just because they're English, but they have to be of the requisite quality. And I think, you know, when you look at some of the players who've come through the academy, you look at Saka now, you look at Smith Rowe, you look at um, these guys who are trying to make their way into the academy, growing up with, you know, in an era where they're learning uh, from players uh, from all over the world who've been at Arsenal, who they train with, you know, that, that helps them achieve that level, which I think is really important. Absolutely. Yeah, no no disagreements with me there. All right. What have we got next? We have uh we have the two thousand and five FA Cup win. Um so United that day, I, I remember <laughs> we were thoroughly outplayed for vast amounts of it. We didn't have one read that game. Um I think it was Reyes who got sent off quite later into yeah. the game, so we had to play extra time with ten men. Um, but we held out and we and we pretty much shithoused the win on penalties, which for me was great because I've lost count of the amount of times I think over the years where we've absolutely battered and outplayed United from start to finish. And, you know, they've sort of got a jammy, um, you know, goal yeah. on the counter and, and, and we've suffered as a result of that. So, yeah, it was nice to, you know, give them a bit of a dose of our own medicine. I remember the game. I was I was sat amongst loads of United fans as well. So oh, it was, no. yeah. It was lovely. It was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right in the end, but you're sort of biting your nails at the time. I mean, the, the uh, was it Dennis Bergkamp who started up front in that game? I think we played. It was, yeah. Four, he, five, he, was, he was a lone striker yeah. in that game. Yeah, which is so, which is really unusual for Arsene Wenger back then to play mm. in, in that kind of a system. Um, and I remember as well, I don't know how clearly you remember this, but this was not long after 
the Glazers had come in and taken over at Manchester United. And I remember like the fake mm. dollar bills and stuff like that. There was a lot of lot of uh, teasing, to put it nicely, uh, of Manchester United and their owners and how they were Americans and all of that kind of stuff, which, you know, in hindsight, we, we can look back on and go, uh-oh. We, 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 we didn't know what was to come. <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't. But, you know, it was a very strong United team on the day as well, wasn't it? Because... Um, you know, they Keane and they'd Van Nistelrooy and Skulls and, and all of that. And it, 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 it was hard work. It really was hard work. Uh, I think they had Ronaldo and Rooney as well. Ronaldo and Rooney on other sides. I think they, they almost lined up in a sort of 4 3 3. And I remember, yeah, Rooney and Ronaldo were giving Lauren and Ashley Cole an absolute horrid time. Yeah. Horrid time. And it was almost, and, and it was rare because we hadn't seen that much. We really struggled to get out. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, it was a game we really wanted to win because if you imagine, obviously, remember back to the fact that United ended our unbeaten run. Um, they yeah. beat us home and away in the league that season as well. So we really needed to get one up on them. So, um, so yeah, it was it was nice to get the win overall. But, I mean, I, I didn't have any fingernails by the end of it because, yeah, it was, I know. Uh, it was one of like, it, out of all the times we've been at, you know, Wembley, Cardiff, it was one of the worst final performances we because we really mm. didn't play well at all that game. Um, and and it was really only Henri that was missing, but um, but yeah, no, it, it 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 was very very. We were under pressure for for most of the game. We had a few. I, I think we didn't have like our first shot on target until like pretty much close to the end of the game into extra time. So yeah. it was yeah um, yeah it wasn't one of the prettiest finals in living memory, but obviously the result was was great in the end. Um, I remember we brought Van Persie on into extra time and. Um, we, we had a couple of attempts. Um, obviously, we were down to 10 at the time as well. But but I think we did overall well to mm. hold out. It showed probably testament to the resilience of the yeah. side overall at the time because, um, you know, it, it's not the way we like to play as a team, but just showed the strength of the characters within that side. And, you know, that probably sometimes people have bemoaned in years to come since then. But that side was a team full of strong characters. Yeah, it was a very un-Wenger-like um, mm. performance and, and way to approach a game. I think it was probably one of the rare moments where he had to be really pragmatic. Um, I'm sure he would have liked to go out there and play and go toe-to-toe with Manchester United, but, you know, based on what he had on the day, he he felt he couldn't do it. But the penalty shootout itself, I think when you look back on it and you you look at the quality of the penalties that we took, they're absolutely amazing, every single one of them. You know, and you look at Lauren, Freddie... Van Persie, Ashley Cole, an underrated penalty taker. And then, of course, Patrick Vieira with the the final kick of the game because United had scored Van Nistelrooy, Ronaldo Rooney, Keane had scored, Paul Scholes had missed. So it was there for Patrick Vieira to to step up and win the cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I remember, I think, yeah, Ashley Coles was... was- really really top notch I remember he literally hit it into the roof of the net it was a very underrated penalty taker um, and you know Lehman obviously he always had his moments but I always fought from penalties he had real nerves of steel mm. um, very very strong um, guessed right and he was a very intimidating figure within those goalposts so yeah luckily he managed to, to keep Skulls' one out and then obviously we tucked all ours away and then it was just Vieira uh, to 
to bring it home and win it for us, which was great. And he did. He did. As a, and like, who knew at that point that it was going to be the last trophy for, fucking, what was it, nine years? You know, I mean, it, it's, it's genuinely inconceivable, isn't it? When you look at the success that we had had and the way that we had been uh, title winners, uh, you know, unbeaten, um, consistently title challengers, to then go another nine years with without a trophy, mm-hmm. I mean, nobody would have thought that at the time. Uh, I guess, I guess, yeah, and, and that probably leads on to you know the sort of next discussion point when mm. we talk about how quickly you know the Invincibles as a side was was, was dismantled. So obviously, the main the main point I want to talk about is Vieira leaving. Yeah. So, um, you know, he was our captain, leader in my time supporting and watching the club. He's and still to this day, I've never seen a better central midfielder. Um, unlikely, I don't think, to see one as good. You know, it'd be nice if we can get someone that can come close. I think Fabregas for me was probably the best since him. But yeah, mm. um, he was a man mountain, done everything you wanted from a central midfielder, tackled, um, passed well, dribbled well. He was a one-man wrecking ball. It was like having two players in there, you know, rolled into one. So that hurt me um, when he left. But I guess... Um, it, it, it was to be expected because I think if you remember before the season after we went unbeaten, he was heavily, he nearly left to Real Madrid that summer, I believe yeah. as well, didn't he? So we probably had to, especially with him and Henri, we, we had to contend a lot with, you know, rumours every sort of summer. Um, so it was going to happen. And obviously, you know, that season Fabregas had started to make inroads into the team as well. So it was always a case of, can they balance? I remember, you know, games where we did start with those two sometimes the balance didn't always look great so mm. it was it was a it was a case of you know maybe out with the old in with the new so we had to commit to Sesk at the time but yeah it was still for me heartbreaking to see him go I love he's one of my probably top three players of all, favorite players of mine of all time so yeah seeing him go was was absolutely heartbreaking but it, I mean it was the case and it was yeah it was probably the major start of the transition obviously we had um the following season, loads of players leave as well. So that Invincibles team, I think it's been spoken about before, was dismantled actually quite, quite quickly, considering it was, you know, yeah. arguably the best and most successful Arsenal team of all time. But yeah, dismantled very, very quickly. It, it did happen a bit too quickly, I think, in, in certain areas. And look, I think some of the circumstances with Vieira, there were always these stories about Real Madrid and, you know, we were dealing with them a lot Um the the fee in the end i think was something like 13 and a half million pounds which you know seems unfeasibly low he went to juventus obviously um 13 and a half million even for a club like juventus which you know um try and be a bit frugal sometimes when they do their transfers doesn't seem like sufficient for the quality of the player that they were getting um and yeah it was you know it's hard not to think that your team is moving in a completely different direction when someone like Vieira, who came in and helped transform it in the first place, is then moving on, you know, because the the impact that Vieira had, not just in terms of Arsenal, but in terms of what people thought you could get from a central midfield player, he sort of was groundbreaking in a way, wasn't he? Because nobody had seen a, a central midfield player like him before. It, it's really hard to sort of quantify that impact. Like I said, you, you know, it, as football's evolving now, it's become so much more stats heavy, but mm. you really couldn't quantify Vieira's impact on the midfield just in terms of what he did. Um, he was the engine room. He was he was literally everything. And, um, I, I mean, I, I guess when you look at it, we did have a good eight 
because when did we sign him? 96? Yeah. So, so we did have a good like eight, nine years of Vieira. So I, I, I don't think if you look at it that way, we probably still had his best years. You know, his, oh, his best years were one hundred percent Arsenal because obviously he left. He played for Juve, he played for Inter, and then I think he retired obviously after at Man City. But I mean, there's there's no denying that his his, his best moments were at Arsenal. So, um, and I think there was a time probably Wenger was quite good at judging when you know a player had had his maximum and. I think in in a few of the years prior to his departure, he had had you know a few injury problems. He he did miss quite a few games at mm. times as well. So, um, I mean, obviously the emotional person I am, I didn't I didn't want him to go. But obviously th- th- the manager knew better than we did. So um, it was just a shame at how how it happened. And I think obviously that was yeah a major start of the of the transition. And um, yeah, I mean some would argue that obviously we've never been the same since, but. Um, yeah, for me, I can only speak of good memories of Vieira. Great midfielder, great professional. Obviously, he he had his moments. Uh, he had his yeah. head rush moments. But, I mean, his his impact on the pitch is immeasurable. Um, those, those um, you know, during that United rivalry period, those battles with, with Roy Keane were about the best individual contest you will see inside a team game anywhere you know because the two of them like in terms of character I think probably quite similar in that they want to win and they're not afraid of what it takes to win both physical uh, I think Keane was you know a really really good player I know that there's a perception of him that he was just a hard man but he wasn't he was a he was a brilliant player as well as Keane uh, as as Vieira so those two going head to head quite literally sometimes going head to head it's impossible not to look back on those memories and just like yeah cherish them in a way uh, I feel I feel like sometimes people you know the, some some younger fans will say you know we're, we're being too nostalgic but I, I mean really and truthfully for me I, I still feel like that was the greatest you know time of the Premier League era for me I, I just it was it was all, and almost you just had to be there moment I mean I just if you remember the build up to games mm. the analysis that it was it was literally blood and thunder on the pitch it generally was uh, the anticipation I remember like I just used to win or lose United mates we wouldn't be speaking for days after just because <laughs> of the, and, and and it's almost like I know everyone's mellowed down a lot since since then as well but but that's yeah. what it was at the time right mm. so it was yeah um no it was great it, it, it really was and and it was great to do battle and obviously it was yeah two teams at, at, at the peak of their powers at the time as well and obviously um I just yeah you don't feel like you just have those characters anymore um yeah. yeah, I mean, as good as obviously City and Liverpool are, and obviously, you know that they, they're very well coached sides, fantastic teams. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's not the same, is it? No, it's not quite. And maybe that's us getting a bit older. But I think as well, when sport gets a bit more serious, it tends to lose a measure of of personality in a way. Like it's sort of like when you think about tennis in the 70s and 80s you had all these crazy characters playing the game who were brilliant at the game but whose personalities were in some ways more important than their their skill or their quality and slowly it just started to become about who is the most relentless efficient tennis machine in the world Um, and football has gone a little bit like that unfortunately but what can we do? I mean, Edu went that summer as well. He, he his contract was finished. He went to um, 
Valencia. So we didn't miss two fairly substantial midfielders in in uh, in that summer. Let them go. So yeah, I, I mean. Yeah, and and that that was like like I said earlier, it was the start of the transition. So mm. he left, Edu left. Um, we we made Henri captain, I believe, at the start of the mm. two thousand and five six season. I think we brought in Alexander Hleb at the time as well. So we we more went in with a mid. It, it, you know, you could start to see the transition of the midfield. Even though it was a fantastic football inside before it went to you know giving Fabregas the keys um, just became more of a, of a, of a technical a, a approach. Yeah. Um, Build-up was probably a bit slower than it usually was. We were playing a lot more passes. Um, and obviously, just with that transition generally, it, it, it will take time. Do you know what I mean? So, um, And, and we st- that started to bear out at the start of the next season, I felt, as well. Um, you know, we started to be a lot weaker away from home, I thought. Um, and probably that's... I don't know if that was the season, but, you know, that's where... Some at times people started to call us a little bit soft at times, you know. I think as well. So, yeah, I think that's yeah. I think that's when it started. I mean, there was certainly a, you know, I can remember a game in two thousand and was it two thousand three? Yeah, two thousand two, two thousand three season when Bolton kicked us off the park and we ended up not winning the title. United pipped us to the title, and and that seemed to be the start of it. That Allardyce thing. But then when when that starts to build. And the team itself becomes a little less physically imposing than it because it's self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and um, uh, yeah, I mean that fed into the start because obviously it was also our last season at Highbury. We had that, mm. you know, that special maroon kit. I really liked that as well. So, um, and naturally with that change, we started to drift off a bit you know Chelsea became the dominant power at the time um, and obviously United had to react to, to Chelsea becoming the dominant power at the time and obviously with all that upheaval as well we had players go um, we were preparing obviously to leave Highbury at the end of the season so money what you know mm. it, it was very tight wasn't it so and we know what was to follow in the years in the years that followed as well so it was hard. I, I remember at the time because, you know, you were used to just being one and two, like literally for, yeah. for almost the last seven, eight years. So having to see, you know, um, another London club with their riches come up, it, it was hard to take. Firing and, um, firing the £50 notes, as David Dean yeah. said, because like Chelsea, <laughs> like when we talk yeah. about uh, Henri and, and uh, Ke- uh, Vieira, uh, being the targets for for clubs abroad, I mean, there was a very very strong play from uh, from Chelsea to try and bring them in as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and obviously we we know what happened um, with Ashley Cole following that as well. And I think I, I don't think we can ever forget that. And that to me, I think probably you know the likes of Dean might look back and. That will be one that will hurt Arsenal, I think, a lot. Just because for, for me, that was an Arsenal captain there. Um, yeah, and and, and it, it just it just never transpired how it did, and it upsets me even now. You know, when I see Ashley Cole talk about calling them the Chelsea, and I'm just like, it, it really wasn't supposed to be like that at all, was it? So, no. but hey ho, football. I think even stuff that you, that you think is set in stone it has a, has a way of changing. I think obviously we're used to the fact that players are just rarely going to stay for the bulk of their careers at one mm. now, are they? So, which is why we tend to treasure the Halen guys, I think, a bit more. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that that Ashley Cole thing, it played on for, for a lot longer than I remember because I was looking this up before we were speaking and, uh, you know, the initial tapping up thing happened in the January of 2005. Mm. And then 
I think there was a, a decision or something like that made in the summer where he was fined and Chelsea were fined and all of that kind of stuff. But he stayed for the for the whole rest of the season as well. Um, you know, I know there are there are always two sides, and you can look back on things with hindsight and think, well, maybe now do I have a, a slightly different view on it? At the time, I remember thinking, well, you know, what the fuck is he doing going to to meet Chelsea? And uh, I think this might be something that, you know, some clubs will experience with Newcastle in the coming years, that the money will talk and the money that was on offer. And I remember Liam Brady saying, um, you know, he was offered, I think, 90000 a week from Chelsea and Arsenal had offered to, I don't know, pay him £60,000 a week. I remember Liam Brady saying, well, what did Arsenal do wrong? We only offered to double his wages. But it just shows you that within football, money can really, and the people who are, I think, probably more interested in money, and I'm talking agents and uh, associated people, you know, can convince somebody like Ashley Cole, who'd grown up uh, as an Arsenal player and come through the academy and had won titles and, like you say, was potentially, you know, a future captain and certainly going to be the left-back for years and years to come, to 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 sort of walk away from that for no... I mean, he could see, you know, he, he cited justifications about the way the football team was going, but, like, yeah, you, you'll say that, but we can all see that the money was the, the driving factor in all of this. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I don't... Um... I just feel like, as fans, sometimes obviously we're conditioned to think players should think the same way we do. Yeah. But we just have to accept the reality of the fact that also with money, football is a very short career. Um, you know, players aren't going to be paying for the, you know, tops. It's a twenty-year career, right? So, yeah. and and if they haven't been good with money, that money can run out very very quickly. So, um, we like to think it's different because it is a sport we love, and you know people have emotional attachments. But the, the reality is, you know, we'd still do the same in our day to day jobs, right? So, yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but, but 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 it is what it is, and um, I still hold grudges. I, I've, I've, I've not forgiven him. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely one you look back on with regret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, like you know when they do think about it, you know, could they have handled it better? Was there a way of keeping him? But maybe there wasn't by the time at all, by the time the shit hit the fan, you know? And that mm. was part of why I think Mourinho became such a, um, I was going to say pantomime villain, but he's not. He's mm. just an actual villain to me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's, that was part of it, you know, that he's come in um, having won the 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 Champions League with Porto, come into Chelsea. They have all this money throwing around. One of the first things he does is take away one of our one of our treasured gems. So, you know, why Arsenal fans have antipathy for Jose Mourinho is, is fairly obvious to me anyway. No, no, no absolutely. And um, it hurts more just because of who it was because of who he went to, I yeah. think, as well. Um, had he left, it still would have been painful, but to go across, you know, the other side of London to an emerging superpower at the time with um, unlimited cash. You, you saw what was happening. You, you could you could see how it was going to unfold. You could see mm. the impact it was going to have. And, and I don't know if that played a part in his thinking. Um, obviously, at the time, people would have known we were going to be leaving Highbury. Our, our purse strings were going to be tight. And so yeah. it just looked like when you looked at it on the surface, um, obviously, we had le we had lost Vieira. Edward had left. The Invincibles was, were being dismantled. So it was kind of like one team looks like, you know, mm. sort of 
waning and other teams, you know, spending money left, right and centre, building a super team. Objectively, when you look at it, you you couldn't blame him, but, you know, you'd like to think that as as a fan, he would would have known better. Yeah. Obviously not. Well, you know, like you say, we can still hold our grudges. (laughs) (laughs) absolutely Andrew absolutely so but um yeah yeah that that was uh yeah it was it was a tough time um 05 generally Mm. based uh, apart obviously by the FA Cup win um based on what we had experienced before and we weren't to know what was going to happen ahead with the turmoil obviously with Dean leaving you know um, yeah what was going to happen at the Emirates. And and obviously, it took a long time to recover from that, I believe. And, you know, some people still say we're still recovering from that, you know, um, based on what's happening at board level. Mm. So... I have one thing that I will add to this because I think it's quite an interesting um, thing to look back on now. Um, if you remember, uh, Jose Antonio Reyes... I think found it difficult in England. You know, some players can come in and they can settle and and they can adapt very easily to the lifestyle and the weather and the language. Someone like Sesk did that perfectly, you know, but Jose Antonio Reyes found it quite difficult. Um, And there was an incident when a Spanish radio station phoned him up and pretended to be Emilio Butragueño, who was the sporting director of of Real Madrid at the time and they had him live on air and they were talking about, you know, we we really want to sign you. Would you be interested in coming? And I think he said, yeah, I really want to go. There's some bad people in the dressing room at Arsenal. And of course, it turned out to be a, 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 a prank and a really shit prank and a terrible thing to do to a young footballer at that stage of his career. He was only 22 years of age, having some difficulties. Maybe his relationship with Thierry Henry wasn't quite where it should have been. And, um, you know, to to put a player in that kind of position, when you think about it now, it was a really underhand thing to do, wasn't it? God rest his soul. I I remember that time, Mm. yeah, so vividly. Obviously, the stuff with Luis Aragones, the stuff with Henri at the time. And I always felt he probably felt that he was just an outsider. Um, You know, looking in, you could see that there's a massive French clique. You know, things were already set in stone. And, you know, they might be thinking, you know, Wenger's gone. And at the time, Mm. in in what, Jan 2004, he's gone and spent big money at the time on bringing in, you know... um, a, a, a white a winger forward in, mm. in Reyes and you know people they're probably look, they're probably looking at it thinking um, what's 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 wrong here what, why is it you know like this um, so yeah and I think he probably could have handled the situation better obviously he, he was I just uh, he never really settled did he and no. I think that was that was that was probably the crux of the situation and um, I don't think that thing I don't think that helped him in any way either you know it, it just didn't it just didn't um, do him or anybody any good, his situation any good. I think his family were over with him as well. And from there on in, I think he scored something like three goals in 30 appearances after that particular incident, you know, because that's a hard thing to 
to live down and to explain away in a second language and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, one of those, one of those unfortunate things from 2005, but like you say, he did give us some good memories and, uh, um, very sadly no longer uh, with us. So may he rest in peace. Mm. Right. Well, we will leave it there for 2005. Sean, thanks a million for uh, taking the time to relive that with us. Much appreciated. No, thank you very much for, for having me on Andrew and look forward to speaking to you more in the future. <laughs> You can find Shell on Twitter. He is at SVCarbaholic, at SVCarbaholic, and he is part of the Touchy Gooners podcast crew. That's it for 2005, but of course, there's more to come from this special Arsblog 20 podcast series. You can binge your way right the way through from 2002 all the way to 2022. As ever, thank you for listening and for being here, and we will catch you on the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.